Today's scripture reading will be Daniel chapter 2, and that begins on page 875 in the Black Pew Bible. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word is from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me, till the times change. Therefore, tell me in the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation." The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariot brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you about to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers, can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, 
and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven and the, before the God of heaven has given him the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and to whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron thick mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those things, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. You may be seated. Daniel has been exiled to Babylon. He went in the first deportation. There were three. He's now a stranger, an alien in a foreign land. But God has already proven himself faithful by allowing Daniel and his three friends to find favor in the eyes of the authorities. Daniel, the scriptures tell us, has purposed in his heart not to defile himself by eating the food that the king provided for them. 
he made up his mind ahead of time not to defile himself and eat the unkosher food. And so by making a request to those in authority, he asked to be given an experiment, a time of testing for 10 days to eat only vegetables and drink water. And after that time, his, he and his three friends were stronger looking, more robust than all the others that dined at the king's table. So Daniel was able to avoid being defiled and yet honor those in authority after him. And after three years, the king found that these four men were ten times better, the scripture tells us, than all the other wise men that had been trained in King Nebuchadnezzar's school. We see the sovereignty of God at work in chapters 1, verse 17. It says God gave them this learning and skill. So God's at work on behalf of Daniel and his friends. A few things need to be addressed, I think, before we start chapter 2. Um, one is that the same revelation we find here in chapter 2 is going to be given in another form in the seventh chapter, but only more fully. The second thing is that starting in verse 4 of chapter 2, the original language switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. Aramaic was the international language of the day, much like today English is the business language of the world. Um, Aramaic was... Uh, similar in that day and time. Uh, some suggest that the language of the courts, the noblemen, those that, that Daniel would be a part of, they had a different dialect, but by and large, uh, everyone spoke Aramaic. So the main point, I think, of the, the purpose of the book is to declare that God's kingdom is like no other. We said that last week. So we need to understand and interpret the text today in light of that overall purpose. But in our chapter today, in chapter 2, we're going to see that the God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego is, is superior to those of the false gods of the Babylonians. And so we'll get started. First point uh, being that you see a restless king and a threat to Daniel. So King Nebuchadnezzar was restless. And why is that? He was having some bad dreams, right? He can't sleep. I, I mentioned that a few weeks ago to our small group leaders. We, we have a meeting on Tuesday morning from 530 to 630, and we uh, was talking, and I said, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't sleep well. And one of the guys said, well, you, you have a lot on your mind? And that's sometimes the case. Yes, sometimes I have uh, a lot on my mind. I don't sleep well. I get up really, really early. But sometimes I just have pawpaw syndrome. You know what that is? It's just uh, my papa got up at like 4 and 4.30 every morning uh, that I knew him. And so I, I have that disease. Sometimes I just wake up really early and I can't go back to sleep. But Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a problem. He had a dream. And maybe he could not remember all of the dream. Uh, maybe he um, could remember parts of it. You know, some dreams are real vivid, you know, like they're actually real uh, they actually occurred, and some of them not so much. But, but he knew something out of the ordinary was going on. His dream is, that he had was no common dream. And what we see is God is dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar, although he didn't even realize it at the time. And we see this about 120 years later in Ezra chapter 6, the king of Persia. He couldn't sleep, if you remember that story. And so the king gets up and, uh, to help him go back to sleep. He reads uh, the court records, and he finds uh, that... Mordecai has not been rewarded for his acts. And so it would happen through that reading, that late night reading, as Haman's evil plot to eradicate the land of the Jews was stopped. 
Lincoln Duncan says this. He says, this passage begins with a half-remembered and consternating dream of a pagan ruler. God's sovereignty is thus displayed in that he reveals his plan for the future through a dream to, of all people, Nebuchadnezzar. He establishes his purposes by whatever means he pleases, and we see him doing that. And so he summons, King Nebuchadnezzar summons the wise men. He has this terrible dream. Maybe he can't remember all of it, but he, he calls his wise men in. And this, the, they're, they're the ones who've been schooled for three years. Sometimes they're called the Chaldeans. Sometimes they're called um, the magicians, sorcerers. They're called in to help him understand his dream and also understand its interpretation. And the wise men eagerly tell him in verse 4, Tell me the dream and we'll interpret it. And look at verse 5, King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Well, I, I mean what I say. He's saying, I mean it. I'm serious about this. You're going to tell me the interpretation, but first you're going to tell me the dream. And then you hear this sucking of air, right, that comes as a result of someone hearing bad news. That, right? In verse 7, they ask again for the dream so they can interpret it, but... Verse 8, the stall tactics aren't working. Nebuchadnezzar means business, and they know it. Sometimes you think, well, did he not really know the dream, or was he just seeing if those guys were going to be honest with him? I mean, you know, if they can tell you, interpret a, a dream you're having, can they not tell you the dream as well? He wants them to earn their money, so to speak. Look at verse 10. They say, no one's ever asked... Someone to do such a thing. Only the gods could do such a thing, aren't they? They've got a, something there, don't they? Verse 12, the result of the magicians and the wise men's lack of success in not telling Nebuchadnezzar's dream is that they're all going to die. They couldn't help the king, so he's going to do away with them. And so Daniel and all of his friends, they're also on the hit list. So what does Daniel do? He responds with wisdom, with discretion. Verse 16, he, Daniel, he buys time. Unlike the magicians, right, that were speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel buys time here. Think about that. How is it that Daniel could buy time and these other guys couldn't, right? Probably because of his character, his work ethic, right? Maybe his testimony. And what does Daniel do? That's the second point. Daniel sought God for mercy, verse 17 and 18. And this is a, there's a contrast here, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar, he's having trouble. He can't sleep. He's restless. So he calls in his wise men, right, all these guys to help him, and they couldn't really help him at all. And then here's Daniel, and I'm not sure if he's all cool, calm, and collective, but Daniel indeed knew who to turn to in times of need, didn't he? He's a man of wisdom. We've already seen that, but he's also a man of prayer. So what do he and his three buddies, what do they do? They get on their face before God, and they ask God for help. I was reading this morning in uh, much of my morning reading time, Psalm 107, verse 12 and 13, and it says, Vain is the salvation of men. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. And I was thinking about uh, that text in light of our scripture today. And Daniel knew where to go, and he got on his face seeking God's help. I think about us as followers of the Savior. Could it be said that be said of us as well? There were people of prayer we should be. We should know where to go when we have need. And what happened? 
God came through, didn't he? That's our third point. God did it. He came through, and da- Daniel gave glory to God alone. See, God, he was seeking mercy, right? He said, let's seek God for mercy. And, and what does God do? He gives mercy. He is seeking God's help, and God gives it. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. It was true what the wise men said to King Nebuchadnezzar about men not being able to tell dreams. You tell me a dream, I might be able to interpret it, but I can't tell you the dream. Only gods, the gods can do that. Well, only the God can do that, right? And we've seen, for those of you taking notes, there's other people who had visions of the night. We'll see those on the screen there. You can write those down, and maybe in your small group you can spend time looking at those. Other people receive visions, right, called visions of the night. But think about your life and my life and times where we were in desperate need and we cried out to the Lord. Those moments where we didn't go to a friend or a family member or somebody else, but we actually went to the God of heaven seeking help. We had a problem. We had a desperate need, and we went to the Lord for that need. We went asking for mercy, and he gave it to us. Something come to your mind? You had those experiences? Most of us probably have. What did Daniel do? Verse 20 and 23, he immediately gave thanks and praise to the Lord. This answer to the prayer is not only going to save his life and the life of his friends, but life of, of many wise men in Babylon. And you might be tempted, Jerry, to say, well, of course he's thankful. His life's saved, right? He's not going to die at the hands of cruel Nebuchadnezzar. God answered him so quickly. But think about the, the message that he's going to deliver. I mean, he's going to approach the most powerful man in the world who's not very nice, doesn't have a very good history of being sweet to folks. And he's going to tell him that his kingdom is not going to last very long. Daniel thanked God in verse 21 for being sovereign over history. He removed kings and sets up kings. We, we see that demonstrated in this very dream. And Daniel goes and tells Arioch that he could tell the king about his dream. Look at verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Don't you like Daniel's response? First word is no. No wise man. No one can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions on your head as you lay in bed are these. It's interesting, Daniel throws himself in the lot of ordinary men. He made Nebuchadnezzar understand very clearly, hey, this is not because of my wit, not because I'm intelligent, not because I'm better than anybody else that I know this dream. This is God's work. I'm no different than the others. He makes no attempt to take credit for this knowledge he now has. Only God could reveal that to him. It's interesting, Ron Daniel, he, he says this, too often the people that God uses get God's credit. 
Although they are merely tools being used in the hand of God, they become the focus of the attention. I know a good many craftsmen who are truly gifted and make some amazing creations, but at no time have I ever said, wow, this is such a fine piece of work. May I see the saw that you used to cut this wood? May I give glory to the drill bit that made these holes? I'd really like to know who your hardware salesman in salesman is that I may give thanks to him. Now, of course, we don't do that, right? It's the one who handles the tools that receives the glory. What are we? We're tools right in the master's hand. Notice the dream in verse 31 through 35. This is a message for Nebuchadnezzar at that time, but it's also a message for us, right? It's a message for to, to King Nebuchadnezzar about the future kingdoms of the world, and it describes four kingdoms. There's a great statue, right? It was a single statue, but it was made of different materials, but it was all put together. One unit there, one statue, one object. It wasn't pretty, Right, verse 31, it was a bit scary, scary-looking statue. The head was made of gold, the chest and arms, silver, the stomach and the thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, and then the legs run right into the feet, and the, feet are, the iron is mixed with clay. And then there's this strange stone. It's not a stone that's been cut by men's hands. It's a, a natural stone. It's unhewn. It's uncut, and it comes, and it strikes the statue on the feet and it obliterates it so much so that the bits and pieces are blown away like chaff in the wind. And then this stone grows into a great mountain that filled the planet. Kind of strange, a little different, but there's a purpose in the dream. Verse 36 through 49, the interpretation. Daniel gives it to King Nebuchadnezzar. This statue represents the kingdoms of the world. Four kingdoms that will come and they will go. That's real important. Four kingdoms that will come and go. We'll see that over and over again in the book of Daniel. Four kingdoms, they come and they go. The first was King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. You can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar hearing this and he's the head of gold. Of course, I'm the head of gold, right? And it says he's the king of kings. Now, that sounds blasphemous a little bit, right? But in Old Testament days, this is a description, not a title like it was for the Savior. You can see it in Ezra chapter 7, verse 12 as well, if you'd like to look that up. But notice in verse 37 how God's hand at work giving and taking away their dominance. Yeah, the, you, king, the king of kings, to whom the Lord of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, right? And into whose hand he has given, right? So it's the Lord who's done all these things. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 25, talking about the Babylonians and the, the Egyptians. I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. But the arms of Pharaoh shall, shall fall. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon. And he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. That was God's will, right? God sovereign over even history, directing the affairs of men. Babylon defeated the Egyptians. 
This text was we read in our small group this morning, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Nebuchadnezzar was king of the world because the Lord allowed him to be, gave him that authority. The second kingdom that would overcome the Babylonians in time was made of silver. Of course, it doesn't tell us here. We'll see that in chapter 7. We'll see that's the Medo-Persians who overthrew the Babylonians in 539 B.C. Remember King Cyrus that's going to allow the, the Israelites to return to Jerusalem? Yeah, the Medo-Persians. The third kingdom, represented by a bronze stomach and thighs, this was the Greeks. Alexander the Great, notice it says there that he ruled over all the earth. Alexander the Great was reported at age 33, he was crying like a baby because there was no other kingdom of the world to conquer. He, at that point in time, he was king of the world. The fourth kingdom, legs of iron. The Roman Empire, we'll see later on. This iron extends down to the toes. It's mixed with clay. This isn't most likely a fifth kingdom. It's the extension of the fourth. But verse 34, look at this uncut stone. It has a divine origin. I think that's the whole idea behind the uncut stone. Stones representing God's kingdom. It hits the feet, right? Think about Christ. When did Christ come? He was born into the world. Yeah, it was at just the right time during the time of the Roman Empire, right? This stone representing God's kingdom hits the feet. There's iron and clay feet, and the earthly kingdoms, they crumble. They fall and they are like dust compared to the kingdom of God. And what does God's kingdom do? In the dream, God's kingdom, represented by the stone, what does it do? It grows and it grows and it grows and it fills the whole planet. It's been said that chapter, the cha chapter 2 of Daniel is like a box top view of a puzzle. Right, you have a puzzle and you always have a picture. That's why Anna Grace and I, we determine if we're going to buy this puzzle or not. What, is, what does it look like? Look at the box. And when you're putting the puzzle together, that's what you look at the box, right? You see this picture, but this, this chapter is a box top view of the, the puzzle of redemptive history from the time of Daniel, right? And the exile leading us all the way, not just with the, the coming of Christ, right? The, the coming of the kingdom of God, but also to the culmination of all things, right? The day of the general resurrection and final judgment. And, and Daniel tells us with, with pretty accurate all the things that are going to happen in the future, historical events that took place. And because of that, many people think Daniel wasn't written when we say it was written, but it was written later, right, after these events took place. So there's some skepticism there, as you can understand the world having. We're going to see the, with the coming of Christ... The impact of the gospel. We're going to see the kingdom of God spread to the ends of the earth. If you think about John the Baptist, he foretold of the kingdom coming. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. He says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus was there in their midst, right? Luke chapter 17 verse 20 and 21 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Yeah, Jesus was there. The kingdom of God had come. 
Jesus is the rock that crushes and causes ones to stumble. Luke chapter 20, verse 16 through 18 tells us that. Is this coming kingdom predicted in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and referring to the first advent or Jesus' second advent? Well, I think it's both. We see the kingdom of God spreading throughout the entire world. And that's what we're doing with the Lion and Moon Christmas offering. We see these videos and we give offerings and we send people to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because we want to see the kingdom of God spread into dark places where right now there is no gospel witness. There is no believer. There is no church. There is no pastor. We look forward to the day in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jamie read this earlier. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Habakkuk chapter 2 prophesying that the earth is, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the Messiah's reign of righteousness will extend to the end of the earth. One day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge sinners and he's going to establish his reign on earth, right? The new heavens and new earth and it's going to be a wonderful time. Look at verse 44 through 47. What do we learn from this? See, God in his kingdom is like no other. Here we have the most powerful tyrant in the world paying homage to Daniel and, the, and also to, to God to some degree. Look at verse 44. And in the days of those kings that God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that, a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and then it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what it shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. And what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He fell down on his face. He pays homage to Daniel, commanded an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and is a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And what happens? Well, Daniel gets a promotion again. We'll see that a lot, Daniel getting promoted. But what do we see? We see this kingdom not being defeated and left for another like the Babylonian kingdom and the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom, right? No, it's, it's not going to come and go. The kingdom of God is going to last forever. And, and we as believers, we're a part of that kingdom. God and his kingdom is like no other. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, we said last week with every recorded incident in Daniel. We want to identify God's sovereignty on behalf of his saints. God gave Daniel a revelation of what the dream was, but also the interpretation. So we praise God for that. God of Judah is the one who raises up kings, right? But he's also one who crushes them to fulfill his will. We see that in Nebuchadnezzar coming into power. That time in history. But God's kingdom is going to overcome all earthly kingdoms and it's going to last forever. That should encourage us. Just as we...
took the Lord's Supper and we said we look forward to the day, right, when the Passover is fulfilled completely and God's kingdom is fully established in the new heavens and new earth, we should be encouraged. Secondly, I think just the example of Daniel. He's a great example for us, isn't he? I mean, he bided his time, right? He bought time. He stalled. And those in authority over him gave him time, right? Why do you think that's so? Probably because of his character. Daniel had impeccable character, living in a pagan environment. What did he do when he needed help? He went directly to the Lord. He's a man of prayer, isn't he? He took no credit, but gave praise to God. Sometimes we want to take credit because, man, we just we really like to do a good job and be highly thought of, don't we? But Daniel did, didn't take credit. Thirdly, how do we apply this? Think about Nebuchadnezzar was, was told the dream. He was told its interpretation. He fell on his face in awe. He's in awe of Daniel, but he's also in awe of Daniel's God. He recognizes that Daniel is, he has, is an awesome dude. He's incredible. He's intelligent. He has wit. Really sharp. But I think at this point in time, Nebuchadnezzar is pretty sure that Daniel's God's pretty awesome. But even though he pays homage to God, he doesn't bow the knee in repentance. He was profoundly impressed with Daniel's God, but he was not converted to the Jewish faith at that time, was he? He still hadn't come to exclusive faith in the God of Israel as his continual worship of pagan gods proves. He's been blessed by God, but Nebuchadnezzar's heart isn't soft towards God. He's still going to chase after idols and want glory for himself. We see that in the New Testament a lot, don't we? Jesus blessing people, healing people, giving, feeding people. And what do they do? They, they like it. They pay homage to them. You're a great teacher. No one's ever done these things before. You're amazing. But yet, few believe. Few respond in repentance and faith. What about us today? We've been blessed, haven't we? We've been blessed immensely by God. Hey, it's, I just said that, and some of you, you're in, a, you're in a hard time. Maybe things aren't going well with relationships, maybe financially, maybe health-wise, maybe whatever. You're not in a good place, Lily, but all of us have been blessed by the Lord. When you think about everything above hell is a privilege. Everything above hell is a privilege. We have been blessed. But is there someone here today who's been immensely blessed by God and you are in awe of God, you're thankful to some degree, but yet you've, you still have yet to bow the knee in repentance and faith. So by way of application today, maybe you need to repent and trust the work that Christ did on the cross on your behalf. You need to turn from sin and you need to trust what the Lord did for you. Maybe that you need to do that. And it may look something like this. You may say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've, I've been wrong. I've done wrong. I deserve your worst. But you've given me your best in Christ. And today I acknowledge that I'm 
I'm wanting to turn from my sin. I want to live for you. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. And I trust that Jesus did die for me. And he, he did rise on the third day so that I could be made right with you. Save me, Lord Jesus. Cleanse me and make me new. I want to live for you. Maybe a prayer like that would be sufficient for you today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put that off if you're lost and going to hell. And fourthly, by way of application, I think it's interesting how deliberate Daniel was at using this opportunity not to promote himself, but to promote God and point the king to God. It's easy to take credit for things um, that in some way we do, right? I mean, you take the promotion, right, because you did a job well done. You, you get the raise, and you take the raise because you've been working very diligently, and you've done a, a good job, and you've helped the company make money. But I, I think my point here is that we should take the opportunities and point people to Jesus. Chris Mack next week is going to tell you how to do that during Sunday worship. We're Jenny and Morgan and I were going to counseling conference, but he's going to be teaching you the next morning, uh, next Sunday morning, about how to do that, how to share your story in a way that takes the the attention off of us and puts it on the Lord. Daniel serves a incredible God whose power and wisdom might far exceeds that of the pagan gods of the Babylonians. We see that in our text today. 